The theme of what I'd like to share today is the month of November, which is the month of All Souls. And I just want to summarize the first two readings, the first readings, even the gospel, in reference to death. Death is a hard topic to deal with, both in our families, looking forward to our own, and death that has already happened to strangers around the world. Death. We have a little insight today, as Christians, into how we can approach death. The first thing would be, from the Book of Wisdom, interesting, the Book of Wisdom describes God's wisdom. And it almost is a personification of God. So God gives us wisdom, God gives us wisdom, and God's giving us himself as we use the gift of wisdom. What does wisdom say in in the first reading? Uh, It tells us it's very practical. It takes proper time, um, and it follows wisdom. You think things through, you don't anticipate, you don't jump to the gun, and, and you realize everything comes in time, and we don't want to rush things. And wisdom appears to us who use it. You don't use it, you lose it. So, but think of it as not only as wisdom, but as God's presence in our lives. And if we don't use God's presence, we lose it. So the theme of what we do when we celebrate Mass is we're using the presence of God and how we understand God, especially through Jesus Christ, his Son, in the Eucharist. So wisdom is practical. You've got to know things. You've got to be, you put things in place. That, and that's really, really uh, closely associated with the theme of Christian death. Our theology of death really heavily relies on Paul's letter to the Thessalonians that we hear here. What happened is, uh, as he preached to Thessalonica, northern uh, Greece, some of the people that he had preached to, Paul had preached to, and had been baptized, died. Natural death. So those who were alive, now Paul's whole direction was the second coming of Christ. You call it the parousia, the second coming of Christ. So those who have died are going to miss it. Jesus comes back, they're going to miss it. See, that's relying on the ancient Greek idea is when you're dead, you're dead, nothing else. So you're dead, get buried, nothing else. That's not us. We don't think that way as Christians. And Paul makes it very clear that we can't grieve like the rest grieve because we have Jesus Christ. And those who have died, have died, if they baptized, they're our family, they're our Christians, brothers and sisters, if they have died, they've died in Christ. So what does that mean? They're still in the presence of Christ, even though they're physically not with us here on earth. And they, quote, he says, they, they died in the Lord. Now, the rest of us are still living, we're alive, and we're waiting for the Lord. And he wants to make it clear that, don't worry, if you died, if your parents died a long time ago, and you're still living Jesus will come to you, and Jesus will come to them. Okay, if you die in the meantime, don't worry about it. Jesus will come to you. As long as you are faithful, as long as you've used the gift of wisdom, God, in your life, 
he'll come to you and you will be in Christ. Then together, and this is, this is so, this is so um, it's so kind of uh, mystical, the Lord himself at the word of command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpets will come down and all the dead will rise first. And then all the rest of us will meet him on our way. Now that's very um, rapturesque, you know, and there were tons of books written on this. I think a whole series of books. The rapture. Basically, it's when we meet God. N nothing miraculous, but very, very Christian in orientation. We're going to die, and when we die, we'll meet God. At the sound of the trumpet, even those who are dead. Now, are you going to hear a trumpet? Probably not. The archangel, the messengers of God, will send forth the message. We'll hear it, and all those who live with the Lord will die with the Lord and console one another with these words of hope, he tells us. And of course, Jesus in the gospel talks about being alert. He's not talking about wedding parties. He's talking about being alert to when he comes. So it all works together. We don't know when he's going to come. We are going to meet him. But when we're meeting him, we've got to be ready. Be wise enough to use your faith, your Christian faith that you've had since your baptism. Use it as you prepare each day for Christ. And he gives that great parable of the, of the women who fall asleep and the women who run out of oil. The oil is our faith. You can't run out, oh, well, you, I guess we can run out of oil. He's telling us, don't run out of oil. Don't run out of God's wisdom. Don't run out of faith. It doesn't matter how bad things are. That oil of faith keeps us going. And it will allow us to greet Christ, the bridegroom in this parable, when he returns. Very important for the Christian. And sometimes it's hard for us to, for some people, to practically accept that. We've got to be lamps trimmed, ready for, for the bridegroom to return, and be on our guard. But yet it happens. I've been blessed in the last month to have been exposed to this theology in my family. About a month ago, I got a call from my cousin Linda. Linda and I grew up together. I was in North Jersey and she was in South Jersey. And there's a big contingent of skirties, that's my last name, in South Jersey and a big contingent in North Jersey. And that's how we referred to each other, North Jersey skirties and South Jersey skirties. She was part of the South Jersey skirties. She was the oldest of five kids, and I was one of uh, me and my brother, two kids. And we communicated all the time. My parents would get into their little car, there's... We used to call it a kashabang, a broken car, a station wagon. And we would go to South Jersey, and they lived in West Berlin. And we'd visit them a few times a year. But it was always a big deal, because we're Italian, so we're always loud, and we're always doing things together, and we're always eating. And we'd go visit, and I would play with Linda and my other cousins. So we grew up together, 
And then college life and all that intervenes, but we kept in touch. And then one year, I lived with them because I was teaching in South Jersey. And my cousin Carmela, Linda's mother, uh, said, come live with us. You know, you're going to be teaching in Camden. Come live with us for the year. That was the year before I went to the seminary. Giving you a long story because I want you to know the intensity of the relationship that I had with these cousins. They weren't just, they were my, Linda was my sister, basically. She, we talked every week. And when there was something going on in the family, they called me Lewis down there. Up south, North Jersey, they called me Louis. South Jersey, Lewis. And with a little bit of a South Jersey, Phil, Philly accent, Lewis. And if we had a talk, there was a story, and there was always a story. With five siblings, there's always a story. And those siblings were unique because they never kept secrets from each other. They all were honest with each other. And even what they thought was going to be a secret, they told one sibling, the whole family knew immediately. So it was very common for her to say, Lewis, wait till you hear what happened to Johnny. And she'd leave that on my voice message. Or, Lewis, let me give you the latest on Carmela. And if, if any of you follow me on Facebook, uh, you, see, you have seen Carmela, my 95-year-old cousin. She's my father's first cousin in action, mowing the lawn trimming the bushes. This is the mother of that clan down there. Very strong woman, very holy woman. And a few weeks ago, and so it seems like it was yesterday, she called and left an abrupt message on my machine. Lewis, call me. Very unusual. I was in the car, and I called her. And she said, I got to tell you something. I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and it's inoperable. And I have four to six weeks to live. It hit the whole family like a bag of bricks. So now, theologically, I'm going to keep this together. We're, giving, we're being given a warning, an invitation to the bridegroom's wedding. That's how I interpret this. It came as a shock, and those of us who were ready, and no one was ready for that because she was still young, focused on Linda and working with her toward her. It wasn't, we all knew it wasn't going to be a recovery. It was a countdown. In those four to six weeks, she made it to four. And if you go on my site, Friends of the Word, I interviewed her. When I went down there to visit her, I interviewed her. And there are three brief interviews. And she comes across scripturally. She wasn't a holy roller with skirties. We go to church, but that's about it. No, 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 I shouldn't say that. The family goes to church. I'll give you a story so you know the context. When I was going into the seminary, my father made a decree at the table. Well, Sunday, you know, Italians gather on Sundays. And he said, okay, I had an older brother, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, everybody's there. Okay, Louis going to the seminary. So that means we all go to church every Sunday. Now, you know, we went to church, we went to the holidays, we went to the processions, we did all that. But now, word of the Lord, the Father, everyone's going to church every Sunday. 
No one balked. Everyone followed his instructions. So we were Italian-Americans who went to church for events, but now we're going every Sunday. And everybody followed my father's decree. So that's the kind of Catholics we were growing up. I went to Catholic school, high school, seminary, and all that. But, but I was the one who carried the, the image of us being practicing Catholic. Okay. Now, I wasn't a holy roller either, believe me. But that's it. My father said it. We're, we're doing it. So that's the kind of Catholics our family was. And there were a lot of us like that. Uh, we go for all the important days. We, we go Sundays. And if we go to confession, we'll, you know, we, I've heard it a million times. Well, I go to church, but not every week. You know, that, that's the kind of, you know, we're people. We're people, so we make mistakes. But still, we are in the confessional saying that. So what does that say? We're linked to the Lord. We, we, we have faith in the Lord. Now, I'm just talking about us. I'm talking about all of us here today, how we communicate with God. Now, some of you might be daily communicants, and Sunday you never miss a mass. God bless you. Great. Pray for the rest of us. So I interview her. The interviews are beautiful. And the one thing that stands out as I look back on those interviews is her faith in the scriptures, her faith in what we just read, that she is now being told, get ready, both from the perspective of the, the bride virgins, the, the letter to the Thessalonians, and Christ himself. Get ready. You, your time is near. We don't usually have that kind of notice. And it's the first time I've actually been exposed to someone, especially in my family, who received notice, you're going to be dead in three weeks, four weeks. And she prepared. And that's the key here. Preparing, just like Jesus told us, all of us to prepare for when the Lord comes. So we're all under the same umbrella of faith. And we're all being told through the scriptures, prepare yourself because you don't know when the bridegroom, Christ, will come. You don't know when your eyes are going to close in death and you're going to be joined to Christ. So live every day as if it's your last. Now, Linda was a high school graduate when I was down there, went on to college, went on to get a few jobs, but then became, through 25 years, the vice president of a major hospital in South Jersey, in Camden. Everybody knew her. Everybody, she was vice president, but everybody knew her. And the stories that came out afterwards, she helped me here, she helped me there, she helped me through COVID, she helped my mother in a special way. And, you know, she's vice president of the hospital, running all the administration and the employment issues of the hospital, but also she's Focusing on people. You see, and that's her family. Her mother was like that, is like that. Taking care of needs of people. She wasn't a heroine. She was a woman of faith who did her job and went beyond that, doing what she was supposed to do as a Christian woman. Taking care, whether you were getting paid for taking care of this woman and bringing her in front of the line for a COVID shot or not, that was her. That was her style. And the stories that came out, both at her funeral and the Mass, were unbelievable. 
So Linda receives notice that in a few weeks she'll be dead. She prepares. Again, the, the, the scriptures, when I read them last week, and I said, oh my God, it's Linda I'm talking. I need to speak about Linda because she is in my family and in my lifetime a living example of a, someone who put faith into action. And I'm sure there are a lot of people and stories right here in church today that can say, oh yeah, that, that applies to, to my sister, brother, aunt, grandmother, something like that. But this is for me, and I'm the preacher, so you're going to hear my, my version today. She started with practical things. She paid off the more, I mean, she, she had a few bucks. She, she, she was not married, and she had, I think, seven uh, nieces and nephews. I might be off with that number because they, they reproduce a lot down in South Jersey. Every niece and nephew, when she was alive, received the benefit of her will, whose car was paid off, whose mortgage was paid off, who was taken care of, who, who was prepared to go to the ball that the hospital was sponsoring during that period, and Linda dressed her, one of the cousins. Wear my dress to the red gown ball. Linda showed us no fear. She and I spoke many, many times during those weeks because we, every week we'd go down there and visit her. And she said, I, I'm not afraid of anything. I, I've, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. You know, I have no children, so I, I, I'm not leaving anything to children, but I am leaving everything to my family. I have no fear. I'm close to Jesus. And this is, this is like a... The South Jersey stories are very sarcastic, too. You, gotta, you, you don't know that, but I do. Sometimes you pick it up from me. Um, she says, I had such a wonderful experience with Michael. Her nephew became a deacon. And I loved going to church when he preached. And I said, and, and what am I, chopped liver? I've been preaching long, longer than Michael. But, but, but she was realistic enough to say, I'm not hurting your feelings because I love you as my cousin. But Michael's my nephew, and Michael's deacon, and Michael's preaching, and it brought her to Christ. Who knew when little Michael was born that she, he would be the one to lead her closer to Christ? Her family brought her to Christ through baptism and living the sacraments. But Michael, her nephew, becomes a deacon, preaches, and he is the key that brings her closer to Christ. She talked about her family. She talked about her brother who passed old. And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting all of them. You see, it's the scriptures again. Those of you who are alive will meet those who have died in Christ at the sound of a trumpet. So here she is talking about this, not reading these scriptures, living them. And I'm saying this to all of us because it was my sharing. But this is our education. This is our Christian education. And to see our Christian faith in action, in vitu, alive, was beautiful. No regrets. And as a matter of fact, there's a song by Edith Piaf. Some of you might know her. 
Je ne regrette rien. I regret nothing. That was her. She had the sacraments. I have to say many times because we know a lot of priests down in South Jersey. And the priest came and anointed her and so on and bring her Eucharist. And I did too, of course. So she had no regrets living the life she did. She and I always joked about, in the family sessions, who was older. In all honesty, I was older, but we never admitted that. Between the two of us, we're the youngest cousins. We weren't the youngest cousins by a long shot, but the youngest cousins. And in all vanity, I have to be honest with you there, the best-looking cousins, too, she and I. Pure and simple. That was our, that was our theme. We had, a, we had a great relationship. A few days before she died, I was there. And she basically fell asleep in Christ. She fell asleep. She was on morphine. Hospice was with her. Her sister was, or the family was with her. They were always with her. To the point where one time... I'm with her, and she said, Louis, they used to call me Louis. Louis, would you go tell my loudmouth brother to be quiet? She's in bed in her room, dying, and she sent me out to shut up the, the Jamie. So sorry about that. Jamie had a deep voice, so you'd hear him through that, throughout the house. But the fact that he and his sisters and his mother and his cousins were there in the living room tells you she received comfort. She received association with Christ. She received the family blessings as she was dying. These scriptures shout to me. To, to have been exposed to someone who actually lived these scriptures and, and applied them to her in her life was such a blessing. She received the blessing to be told in advance, four weeks you're going to be dead. She didn't say, why me? She didn't say, oh shucks, she didn't curse God. She accepted it like a philosopher. She accepted it like a Christian. She accepted it like someone who trusted. See, and that's for all of us. We all need to be people who trust in God's word and trust in Jesus Christ and apply it to ourselves in everyday life, not only in, in a hospital bed. And she trusted. And for the family, that was such a, a source of strength. And she never lost her sense of humor. I can't leave this out. Because we can't be morbid Christians. Our Lord is alive. Jesus Christ conquered death. I mean, when you get that through your head, I mean, any of us, it's hard. He conquered death. Death, everyone knows, is pretty final. You go in, that's it, you're dead. Christ destroyed that so that it may look like we're dead in the eyes of the foolish, Thessalonians tells us. But in reality, we're living in Christ. We're being brought closer to Christ. Now, we're stuck with our bodies and our world. And some of us are too stuck 
to our world and our bodies and our possessions, that we don't leave room for the spiritual life to grow and us to absorb Jesus Christ in our spiritual lives. But that's what Christians do because he conquered death. He's available to us. He's always going to be with us as long as we are with him. Very important. So we were getting ready for her last days, and she took care of everything. She had one sister take care of any any bills that she had. She had one sister um, take care of the telephone, the car, and anything practical, because she was a practical woman. She was a vice president of an institution, so she knew all those practical things to do. So we're picking out her clothes. So Phyllis comes in and says, how's this dress, this dress? And she says, oh, that one. Okay, we'll pick this one out. And her mother, Carmella, oh, we need shoes, even though the coffin was not going to be open, but she will have lost a lot of weight by then. She says, oh, how about you need a pair of shoes? So she goes next door and she brings out jellies, like girls' shoes, jellies. <laughs> and Linda, now Linda's dying, but she's quite alert. And she says, oh, no, I'm not going into eternal life wearing jellies. Comical, practical, and honest. She knew she was entering eternal life. Now, you and I are all going to enter eternal life. We don't know when. But it was a grace that God gave her to give her enough notice that she could cover all her bases. You see what the scriptures are telling us? Like the oil in the lamps? Take care. Make sure your oil is always ready, the oil of faith. Make sure you're ready for anything. Because you don't know when Christ the bridegroom will return. Did she preach these words? No. Did anyone read them to her as she was dying? No, not necessarily. Some of these words, of course, were read to her. But in her life, she was a practical Christian woman. Again, a role model for any of us, especially as this month we pray for all of our deceased brothers and sisters. We put their names in the book of memory. And as we write their names, and her name is included, we realize that we're writing the name of a human being who lived on this physical earth, who is now with God. Heaven, purgatory, I don't know. I, it ain't hell, I know that for sure. But, although some of the scurdy actions deserve hell, but no, we, we forgave her of all those. And as we write the names of those we love, we're part of them. Oh, we're physically separated. Our bodies are separated from our mothers and fathers and, and my cousin Linda and so many other. Our bodies are separated. But our spirits are not, as we pray. As we pray for those who have died, we pray for all, all souls. The names of those who were killed in the Mideast are, are, are not in that book. But we need to pray for them as well. Because they are part of God's creation, and they are our family. I don't care if they speak Arabic or, or Yiddish or English. They're part of God's family. See, we are part of the universal creation of God, and you and I are brothers and sisters to those that we don't even know, but are redeemed by Christ. 
And if we want to be with them at the word of the Lord and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, we've got to be ready now.